Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. If I had to describe this, I'd say it's cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Because ag and life live side by side and sometimes overlap. I'm your host, Mark Flint, and this is Open Field Radio. Brought to you by Gowan Company. Kenny Barnwell, Henderson County, North Carolina, Appalachia. Seven generations of apples. The culture, the mysteries, the struggle, and the successes. We talk it all right now. We can get started whenever you want to. I'm ready. Well, paint me the picture. Henderson County, North Carolina. What's it look like? Where are you? Uh, we're in the, the southern mountains of the Blue Ridge Range. We are about halfway between Spartanburg, South Carolina, and Asheville, North Carolina, right on I-26. I-26 cuts Henderson County right in half. We have an incredibly temperate climate. That's why there's so much agriculture here. In a normal year, we will only hit 90, one or two days in the entire year. In, uh, and we will only hit 10 degrees uh, once maybe in a year. So we're very temperate. It's made for agriculture being king in Henderson County for a lot of years. However, retirees have found it now. It was rated number one place <laughs> to retire two or three years uh, there with AARP and some of those magazines. So we have a large summer retirement community that comes in. Okay. What's your humidity like in the summer? It can get very humid, but it generally doesn't. It usually stays in, you know, in the 70 range, 60 to 70. I see these places above us that are warmer than us, and I see the places south of us that are colder than us. I mean, we are, we're just in this little pocket that's just ideal for, uh, it's, it's just an ideal place to live. It's very picturesque. The mountains are beautiful. We get beautiful color in the fall. We have tons of people that come in. We are far enough out in the country, that you enjoy the country way of life. But we're close enough to metropolitan areas that you don't have to drive forever if you want to see something. Appalachia. Appalachia. I don't know which way is the right way to say it. I'll probably say it both ways during the entire show. Either one. This is fascinating to me. I was reading an article on this region of the country, and I realized how misunderstood I really think it is to the rest of the country. Appalachia is a cultural region, not just a physical region, but a cultural region in the United States. And it stretches from the southern tier of New York State to the northern parts of Alabama and Georgia. Talking the Smoky Mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains, the Shenandoah Valley, and all through there, the Appalachian culture, though it's its own, I believe is horribly misunderstood and exploited in many ways. In fact, Kenny and I talk about that. And historically, the early settlers in that region, if your family stretches back to northern England, Scotland, and the famines of Ireland, chances are you've got family in Appalachia. Uh, my grandma lived, you know, five or 600 yards away, but then my closest neighbor passed that's a half a mile away. And, you know, growing up as a kid, if you wanted to, if you wanted to play with somebody, you walked and go <laughs> visit it. And, and they were your cousins because it was all family land around us. You know, there was a lot of large families. Um, I was looking back, uh, the guy who is largely considered one, the first white settler in Henderson County, uh, William Mills, when he came in, Came in the county. He got a uh, 640-acre tract of land for fighting in the Revolutionary War, and um, 
he settled in Mills River, and then he married Samuel Edney, where the name Edneyville comes from, where it's where I live. It's a little bitty small community, you know, and and, and it still isn't overgrown. I can still tee it up and hit driver out of my front yard. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. and, and I and I don't and, and and that's not because I only hit it ten yards. It's uh it, there's plenty of room out there. <laughs> that's perfect. That is so, now you told me we talked earlier before this, and you told me mm-hmm. you're, you're seventh generation there? I think I am seventh generation at least. The Barnwells were in uh United States before the Revolutionary War. Uh, but we weren't in this area. We came into Baltimore, went through down through Salisbury, and then come back up here. But the first group that settled in, the first group of uh, Barnwell that settled in this area settled within a mile or so of an orchard I farm right now. Oh, my goodness. So it's, uh, you know, we got a lot of history here. I got history on both sides of my family. We we tend to be in, in this, in our family, we're either farmers or were teachers. Uh, my father put in 42 years with the county school system. Mama put in over 30. And I can go a little more, but there, there's <laughs> over 200 years of service to education in Henderson County. You guys are local. <laughs> yes. I tell you, the best thing that happened, because uh, we talk about the gene pool being maybe just a shake shower sometimes okay. in some of these families here. Sure. My grandfather, during the uh right after the depression or kind of during the depression worked for the state and he was running a team of mules and uh uh scraping roads in cleveland county is and met my grandmother and they got married and moved back into you know and came back home to henderson county half on the one side came from down below shelby which is 70 miles away and uh then we on the lawler side there was they came uh my great-grandmother came out of polk county so we you know there was some diversity there but in some of those uh families up on the mountain the family tree is pretty straight there's not a lot of limbs on it well talk to me this is a fascinating topic Uh, the region that is called appalachia in america I think is is covered in mystery and history and culture that may be outside of what most of us grew up in. Can you shed a little light on the culture of your area there? Oh, absolutely. I went to a high school. My my graduating class in my high school had 58 people in it. They had not consolidated the schools in Henderson County at that time. The high school was the center of the community. Everything that happened in Edneyville revolved around Edneyville High School until they consolidated uh, Edneyville into, uh, with a couple other schools about 20 years ago. But back then, it, it was it was a community. You knew everybody that lived there. You knew who their, what their family was, what church they went to, were they Republican or Democrat? I mean, it was just a community. If you've never been in a situation like that, it's just, it's really hard to explain. But, you know, you knew everybody. Everybody got along. There were a few old 
disagreements that <laughs> they weren't Kentucky style feuds with the guns, but there were certain families that didn't have a lot to do with other families. And I mean, and that's just how it was. But growing up, you didn't lock your doors. If you went to your, I, I went over to my cousin's house. I didn't knock on the door. I walked in, you know, I mean, it was just, <laughs> that's just how it was. Yeah. Well, I think I looked it up. I was, I was trying to find some information on your region and about the state and about the culture and all those kind of things. And you know what comes up every single time? When you when you look up North Carolina and culture and all those kind of things, for the rest of America, I can see this. It's the good old Andy Griffith show. Is that anywhere close to reality? It was when I was growing up. I love it. That's I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> it, it was when I was growing up. You knew the sheriff. You knew who the deputies were, and uh, and it was it was kind of funny. You're listening to Open Field Radio. Looking to protect your apples? Come on, you know you are. Envador 2SC Midaside has got you covered. Envador 2SC Midaside is powered by the active ingredient Spirodiclofen, a broad-spectrum miticide with activity and key mites across many crops. Envador is active against all stages of mites, including eggs, nymphs, female adults, and has very strong residual activity. It's good to know. Compatible for use in IPM programs due to its low impact on many beneficial insects. Effective as a preventative application or as populations are building. Ready to protect your apples? Envador 2SC Midaside. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. Open Field Radio. Like, share, subscribe. I feel like the more shows we do, the more we get to know each other. You know what I mean? I know you, you know me. Oh, look, we're just regular people, right? I mow my yard, you mow your yard. Regular stuff. And when it comes to promoting Open Field Radio, I need regular people to tell other regular people this show is happening. So tell somebody. Knock on somebody's door, call them up, send them a text, whatever, and tell them you're listening to Open Field Radio, and by golly, they should be too. It'll be awesome, I promise, because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio. Well, tell me, you came from, you said half your, one side of your family is educators. Where did the agriculture side of it come into your family, and what were they doing? Well, they were both always agriculture part of them. Okay. You know, the Barnwell side, uh, even though they were teachers, they also, uh, my grandfather and grandma, they grew apples down there. My And the other side grew apples. So I, I, I've got apples in my genes from both sides. And when I went to college, the last thing I ever thought I'd do would be grow apples. <laughs> I got a degree in chemistry and I got a degree in biology and now I grow apples. Of course. I, I really, I kid. It is a great way of life. It's amazing that what a lot of what I looked at, like especially in physical chemistry and biochem and things like that, how when I came back to the farm, I understood how the chemicals worked and saw and how we have changed. In the 40 years I've been doing this, we used to pour 30, 40 pounds of fungicide per tank in, you know, in every tank that we sprayed. Now I'm pouring uh, 32 ounces. Right. It's really we changed. Used, yes. We used to use broad spectrum insecticides that killed everything. Now we use insect growth regulators that are targeted to only one species of insect. Sure. And that's all it affects. And we have got a very good research and extension department with NC State. We got the uh, the Mountain Horticulture Research Station right here in our county. We trap in the orchard. We only spray when there's a need to spray. We track degree days. We track leaf wetness. We don't spray by a calendar anymore. We spray by when the disease is there, not just 
not just because it's a day on the calendar right. like we used to. We used to spray every seven days early, every 10 days, and then you went to every 14. Now you, you now you might spray three days and and uh, spray and come back in three days because you've had a huge wedding event and and the temperature to cause a problem and then you may go eleven days between the next one but but they're more targeted and it's a lot more science based and and it's it's letting us reduce our use of uh, pesticides and when I say pesticides I'm talking about insecticides herbicides fungicides but we're reducing. The, the use of that all the time, it's increasing the water quality and our streams is getting better all the time. Well, you're in the apple business, so your great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents and beyond, were they growing the same apples you're growing now? Three varieties, maybe four. Reds, oh. Goldens, Romes, and uh, uh, Stamens. Back in the day. Back in the day. But that makes up such a small percentage of what I grow. Now we're 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 growing Gala, Honeycrisp, Evercrisp. That's kind of where we're targeting Fuji, John of Gold varieties that we've never even heard. Well, they hadn't even been developed back in at that time. And back then, they, they planted on forty by thirty, uh, forty forty five trees to the acre. The first ones I planted, I planted in nineteen eighty three. I planted them about fifteen by thirty, which works out to about a hundred trees per acre. Now we're planting between 1,000 and 1,100 trees per acre, and we're putting them on trellis and on wire. We plant 12 feet in the bulk, 3 feet between the trees, and I'll put a 5-wire trellis that's uh, 10 feet high. So we're trying to make, we're trying to intercept light. Every farmer in the United States is selling light. It's just sunlight. It's just in what method is he selling it? Is he uh, selling it to you in corn? Our reasoning for doing this is with this trellis, we're intercepting more light. And we're also, because the trees dry quicker, everything else works better, we're able to grow a better quality apple. And that's been the whole, you know, that's our whole focus. Uh, also cosmetically prettier fruit because people are going to buy with their eyes. Well, you, you know, you're going to, you're going to pick up that perfect looking fruit every right. time. It doesn't matter what it tastes like <laughs> because you don't know it that time. Yeah, you get to that in a minute. But, you should buy the pretty one. You know, that's for sure. You buy the pretty one. <laughs> well, we do shop with our eyes. We do shop with our eyes regardless. The other thing is in the Southeast, we are able to, with our growing season, we grow very flavorful apples. Our apples will have a lot more taste than what you will buy off of a grocery store shelf because we we can let them get mature. We can pick them ripe. We don't have to pick them way early. Bricks is a measurement of the percent of sugar in the apple, the soluble solid. Okay. Uh, on our farm, we try to be somewhere over 11, We preferably over 12. I will go and buy occasionally some from the West Coast, and they will check at uh, eight and a half and nine. So they're, our apples are the apples that I grow are much sweeter. So bricks, B-R-I-X, bricks is a measurement of the amount of dissolved solids in a liquid via its specific gravity, and is used especially to measure dissolved sugars. Very common measurement in fruit, in fruit juices, in wine, in a number of things. And the more I read about it, the more numbers are involved. I just get confused. Bricks. So now you know. When I when I first started in 1980, we had uh, 10,000 acres and 30 packing houses. Mm-hmm. 
and we you you picked, you packed, you shipped, and you tried to get done just as hard and as fast as you could. Our model now is you let the apple get ripe and mature. We have built up our infrastructure. There are a ton more coolers. There are more bins so that we don't have to go quite as hard. There are now four packing houses and about 3,500 acres of orchard. And within uh, 90 minutes of Henderson County, we have the population density to use everything we grow and then some. And a lot of it is moved through uh, little local fruit stands or uh, out of the farmer's market in Asheville. There's a tremendous volume that moves through there. And we have found our niche, and it's not trying to compete against Washington. We're trying to just appeal to a different consumer than they are. We still have a packing house or two that does some Walmart business and some things like that. But by and large, we're trying to sell to the people that want to come out and have a little uh, day trip and go see the farm, do some pick your own or go and, you know, just see what it is like. Yeah. Well, the local grown movement in your area is very successful. And we push it because uh, it's been good to us. And and I'm going to tell you, I really, I, I credit Gala with us still being in the apple business. Really? Gala was the first apple that we could grow that had decent flavor and uh, was cosmetically comparable to what they were picking in California at the same time. And we, we learned how to grow that. Then we moved to some of these other newer varieties. We found some red delicious that uh, we could grow that had a little bit, be- uh, much better flavor, let them get mature. But we were losing growers. We lost the Gerber baby food plant that was in Asheville closed and moved operation uh, all the way back to Michigan. The national fruit plant that was in Lincolnton about uh, 60 miles away closed their doors and went back to Winchester, Virginia. The Seneca plant that was in Mountain Home closed and uh, it went way to sent back to Seneca, New York. And all of a sudden we had all these apples and nowhere we instead of being uh, a place that you had plenty of options to sell your apples, all of a sudden you didn't have any, you know, and that's that caused that reduction in acreage. But it, but we we've, we've uh, settled down. I we're planting a lot of new trees. We're planting a lot of the right varieties, and the apple business is going to be uh, ongoing in Henderson County if we can stand the pressure from development. Did you hear that pause right there when Kenny said, if we can stand the pressure from development at this point in the conversation and from this point forward, everything changes. We intentionally left some of the pauses and gaps we would normally edit out of a show for time and for momentum because we want you to hear Kenny think. You can hear him thinking. You can hear his heart. It's unbelievably real. In the show opener for Open Field Radio, it says agriculture and life live side by side, and sometimes they overlap. In these next few minutes, you're going to hear Kenny's pride, you're going to hear his passion, you're going to hear his lament, and you're going to hear his frustration. This is ag and life colliding. The housing market is just crazy here, what they will pay for land in this area, especially these nice little slopes. Out here with views of the mountains, that's where the orchards are at. 
And if one comes for sale, you cannot buy it to farm it. A fair-sized track of land out here came available the other day, and they were wanting $27,000 an acre. The last flat track in Mills River where you could put a greenhouse, just about, you know, with sewer water, gas, electricity, everything you need handy, 15 acres sold for $1.5 million, $100,000 an acre. And you're telling me I'm going to farm against something like that? And then when they come out there and offer you for your land. Now, the land that I got from my grandparents and my great-grandparents and the ones past that, that land ain't for sale. I don't care what happened. But I have bought some land. And if somebody comes and they, it's not for sale. But that doesn't mean it can't be bought. They come out and and they get really stupid with how much money. Well, if it's more money than my grandson will ever make farming it, uh, sell it, put it in a put it in a, a IRA for him, and set him up a trust and go from there. Unfortunately, in Henderson County, it's kind of a joke, but I told somebody the other day that a young apple farmer in Henderson County is somebody that's not drawing Social Security. Mm. (laughs) And the generation behind me, when they graduated from high school, apple business was hard. There was not a lot. That's when those plants closed. That's when they left. It was tough. They went to school. We lost our best and our brightest. My little brother's got a Kimmy and an MBA. He isn't coming back to the farm. Right. My niece has got a, she's got a master's degree in aerospace engineering. You know, we, we took our kids and we educated them. And, you know, there's, there's still a lot of hard work in the apple industry. I mean, we handpick every apple. There's no mechanical harvesting. It, everything is handpicked. And if it hits the ground, it stays on the ground. And it's so iffy because we had a huge freeze the other night, and I don't know how much of my crop I lost. Uh. And so you're you're sitting there looking at the kind of money we're going to have to invest to grow this crop, right? And then is it is it going? Are you going to be able to get your money back out of it? But I still I love the lifestyle. You're your own boss. You set your own hours. Now. 20 years ago when I was, it was just me and I didn't have any help and I had one tractor and you would take your chemicals and and I was farming three orchards and you would set them out uh, at the three different places and you would start spraying at about seven o'clock at night because the wind would have laid down so you could spray and you hoped to you get somebody to drop you off and leave your truck at the last place. Right. And you start spraying and you hoped your you hoped your tractor didn't break down or the pump didn't quit or something didn't happen because that was before cell phones. But I sure got tired of walking when something <laughs> broke down. And at four o'clock in the morning, they, at four o'clock in the morning, there ain't nobody on the road to pick you up. Nope, no one. Historically speaking, Appalachian farms are very small compared to, you know, the big farms we think of in the Midwest or maybe out West. Talk to me about the size of those farms. Some of them can be very small, as a matter of fact. I farm 160 acres. Okay. The biggest track is 50. Then uh, one's 12 here, and then I drive four or five miles, and I've got a 20-acre track, and then I drive five or six more miles, and there's a 30-acre track, and then I go way back up to where my mother and father live, 
and there's uh, about 40 acres combined up there. So that's what amazes uh, growers in these other areas is they come in here and see us farming these little smallish tracks of orchard that you have to, you know, drive so much. They're used to just getting into one big block and that's all they do. Right. But not here. You're farming little small tracks. A lot of it is, uh, some of it is leased, some of it it's owned, but you know, it's been broken up from the family through, uh, you know, through four generations and you may still be farming what was what is family land per se, but it's uh, owned by your first cousin or your second cousin or something like that, and you're and it's not right where you live. You know, there's a lot of five and six acre tracts of land that have apple trees on them that are being farmed by you know one guy, a friend of mine. I think he's got thirteen or fourteen different tracts of land that he farmed. In other words, 13 or 14 different people own the land that he put together to farm the 200 acres he farms. When Burley Tobacco was uh, around, uh, and they did a lot of it up in this area till, uh, before the Blue Mole got it, two counties over there were hundreds of half-acre to one-acre Burley Tobacco blocks. Any place it was flat enough that they thought they could farm, they farmed. And I'm telling you, some of them wasn't too flat. It, it's pretty much <laughs> up and down the hill. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to Open Field Radio. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you, right? Gowan USA has a broad selection of herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides to deliver customized solutions for your crops. Gowan provides the right programs to fit your unique needs, standing behind our products with expert service and support. And Gowan USA is family-owned and operated right here in the United States of America for over 55 years. That's a long time. Check it out for yourself at GowanCo.com. And now you know. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. This is Michael Ruhl, author of Grocery, The Buying and Selling of Food in America. Price check on Honey Nut Wonder Rose. Season 1, Episode 4. And you're listening to Open Field Radio. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, Appalachian apple farmer, Kenny Barnwell. I see agriculture changing. Some of the changes are good in the way that we use our chemicals and the way that we're able to market our fruit. And some of it's bad because we're just getting pressed from so many different directions to do to just, to just have to do more than a lot of the older generation farmers want to do. We still, I mean, our internet out in this area where I'm at is terrible. To be nice, it sucks. <laughs> uh, there's no broadband. I mean, it just, it takes forever to do anything. I've got it in my truck, you know, uh, where you can uh, get the, the internet in your truck. Yeah. My, my internet in my truck, if I really need to do something, I get in my truck and go out and get up on the hill a little bit, and I can do it five times faster in my pickup truck than I can sitting in my house. I watch that little circle go around a lot at my house, and I'm supposed to have the best I can get. For, for rural country folks, uh, broadband internet would be a great thing in the president's proposal if they can do broadband internet for rural areas that would be wonderful the cable tv stops there's advantages and disadvantages it stops about a mile before you get to my house so i got a dish on my roof for the tv and a dish on my roof for my internet so that's kind of how we are but um I can sit and wait i'd rather be that way than uh, be able to shake my neighbor's hand out my window 
Well said. So well said. You got seven generations of apple farming in Henderson County. What's your favorite thing about being from Henderson County and seven generations of apples? For me, I, I think back about riding around with my grandfather when I was young. And uh, when I was 15 or 16, I would take him and we would ride around in the orchards and he would talk to me about what we did here and, you know, and how this evolved. And I got this story. We went, I went with him to Marion when I was a freshman in college on a Saturday and he bought a brand new Electra 225. And I took him and grandma to church and we went out to eat lunch and we were coming down. He said, Kenny, I want you to go in there and show you what the, the windmills. They just put wind machines in this one orchard, and it had saved the apples from the frost. He said, I, let's go look. I'll show you what the wind machines. It was muddy. The car had 401 miles on it, I think. Uh, I looked at Grandma, and, Clint, and my grandpa said, the apples bought the damn car. If I want to go look at the apples, we're going to go look at them. And right through with this brand new car. We went right down a muddy apple uh, road and uh, looked at what, uh, and you could see right to how far the wind machine went out, where it had apples and where it didn't, but I'll never forget that. He said, the apples bought it, and if I want to go look at my apples, I'm going to go in, to, I'm going to go look at them, and unfortunately, I'm just like him. This truck I'm driving has got 4,000 miles on it, and if I want to go look at the apples, we go in the orchard and we look at the apples. That's spectacular. Um, to whom much is given, much is expected. And he told me a long time ago, he said, You've been, you'll be given a lot and we expect a lot out of you. Well, let me, let me ask you just something me to you kind of thing. Because I thought of this and I thought I didn't even know how to ask the question. Mm -hmm. For most of the rest of the country, the perspective of... The Appalachian region, the eastern, southern region has been kind of directed via Hollywood movie or mm -hmm. all kinds of things. So whether it be moonshiners or hillbillies or anything else you want to call it, how's that sit with you? I'm going to give you a line from Sweet Home Alabama. Just because we talk slow don't mean we're stupid. You've got to want to damn grow apples to grow apples, I'm going to tell you. Because there's going to be days... You're going to wake up like we did uh, last Friday morning and it's snow white out there and your apples are in full bloom and you, you don't know if you've got a single apple left. That's when, that's when you know, are, are you tough enough to be an apple grower? You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission.